0: Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says something mind-blowing. He says the entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So in other words, everything, the whole law, everything that's happened from this point on, all the words the prophets have spoken. Everything they've said. It all boils down to this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so last week we talked about different things. We talked about, we talked about the good Samaritan. And, and, uh, and how, how the Jew walked by the other Jew who was laying on the side of the road. And just kept going. He was a priest. And then a Levite who... who was to help the priest keep everything in order. Uh, the pastor's helper saw a man on the side of the road sick, and he's laying there, and he, he's hurting, and he just, he won't make sure he's on the other side of the road. He said, I see him there, but I ain't helping him, just keeps on going. And then the, the unthinkable happens, a Samaritan. And we talked about how, how the Jewish people and the Samaritans did not get along. They hated each other. In fact, in that day and age, the, the modern-day modern equivalent to the Samaritan would have been a terrorist. In the, in the Jewish eyes, in the Jewish realm. So, so, and this guy sees the man hurting, and he goes over and he helps him. Not only does he help him, he puts him on his donkey, takes him to the hospital, cares for his wounds, makes sure he gets the best care, and then he pays for it. Anybody ever paid your hospital bill? Pays for it. And Jesus says, this is the example I'm giving you of what a neighbor should look like. In Galatians 5, 13 through 15, Paul says, for you've been called to live in freedom. I want to live in freedom. I want to feel free about everything I do. he says, my brothers and sisters, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this command love your neighbor as yourself but if you're always biting and devouring one another watch out beware of destroying one another and we talked about how in life we, we go through life every every single day and if we would just follow this one commandment that jesus gave us to love our neighbor as ourself it would change everything we wouldn't have what paul talks about here of destroying one another we wouldn't have all these riots going on in the streets. All this stuff wouldn't happen if we truly knew who our neighbors were and we truly loved them as ourselves. Today I want to talk about our neighbors and who, what they look like. I want, to, I want to classify what your neighbor looks like. Let's pray. Father, I think you give us a fresh revelation, Father, of who our neighbor is. And, Father, we don't want our neighbors to die and go where they don't need to go. We want them to know about you. We want to reach our neighbors. We want to love our neighbors. We want to know our neighbors, Father. We want to take the great commandment, the great one thing, Father, that you told us we needed to do. We want to take that and we want to obey it. We want to we love you, Father. Father with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And we want to love our neighbors as ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen. So throughout the Bible, God tells us to love our neighbor. And God invites us to love the way that he loves. And so if we don't take Jesus' command literally, then we turn the great commandment nothing more than a metaphor. We We have a metaphoric love. For, for metaphoric, neighbors. And our neighbors are metaphoric because we, we say we have neighbors, but yet we really don't know that our neighbors even exist. We see a car and we have a casual wave, or we, we see them park their car and go in the house. But other than that, we really don't know who our neighbors are. And so I've been doing a little study on who is your neighbor, and, and what neighbors look like, and they're going to put a chart up on the on the screen right now. You'll see this nice little nifty chart? Now, the home in the middle, that represents you. Look at your neighbor and say, that's me. Okay, these squares around the home, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight squares around you, your immediate neighbors. Those that live right in front of you, right behind you, right beside you. Those are, those are what we call our immediate neighbors. I'm going to give you some mind blowing fact, facts. Number A is can you take this and list the name of eight neighbors around you? Can you do that? See, because only 10% of America can do that. 10%. Who are your neighbors? Now, I live in apartments, so they're above me, below me, all around me. And, uh, you know, I can, I can honestly say that my neighbors change, and I'm not making excuses, but I don't know all eight of them right now. Now, my last two neighborhoods that I lived in, I did know all eight, and I knew them in great detail. But the deal is, as Americans, we live a very fast, fast-paced life, like I talked about with Mr. Rogers. Everything is very fast now. We don't want slow intros. We don't want slow things happening. And so we run at a really fast pace, and we go through life every day, and we really don't even know those people that live right beside us or right behind us. Ten percent, that's a staggering number. That means only one out of ten people in this, in this room can probably fill out number A. Then let's go to B. Number B, A is we, we know their name. B was, is we know something relevant about them. When I say relevant, not what kind of car they drive because we see them going down the road or what kind of shrubs they have in their front yard. Or if their grass needs mowing. You have a neighbor whose grass always needs mowing? I've had those neighbors. In fact, I think I've been that neighbor. But, <laughs> but you have these neighbors and their grass always needs mowing. And stuff's going on and you just immediately assume, well, they're too busy. They don't take care of their family. They, only, they can't even mow their grass. And we make assumptions because we don't really don't, we don't know what's going on in people's lives. And so B is we know something relevant about them that we cannot see from the street. You want to know what the number of Americans that know that is? Three percent. Can fill that out for all eight. And so then we get to see. And that's being able to write something down in depth about all eight of these people, more than you've met them before, and you know, you know what church they go to. You you know something in depth about them. About some one of their loved ones has something going wrong with them, or, or. They're struggling with this right now, or they really, they like to go play golf every Saturday, and that kind of stuff. You can, you can write something that's going on in their life right now, that's, that's C. And that number for America is less than 1%. Less than 1% know the eight neighbors around them enough that they can tell you something relevant about their life. That's pretty staggering. I remember growing up back in the seventies, and I knew all my neighbors. I knew I knew every single one of them. I knew every one of their kids' names. I knew I knew what their names were. I knew Mister and Miss Ducharme. I I knew all of them. I, I I knew the I knew especially knew the little girl across the street because she was cute, and uh, I knew all my neighbors. And I could tell you what was going on in their lives. What was what was happening in our neighborhood. I could tell you that so-and-so's daddy was unemployed. He had lost his job, and they were, thinking, they were praying and hoping he was going to get another one. We knew all the details about what was going on with our neighbors. But today we live in a society where everything's real fast-paced, and we're running 100 miles an hour, and, and we can barely tell you what kind of car they're driving this week because our priorities as Americans have changed. We go faster, 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 and faster. Uh, I remember back in the late 70s, early 80s, they said if you just have a portable telephone and a, and a mobile uh, computer device or a typewriter, that you, you could, you'd probably get your work done you know, twice as fast and you'd have twice as much time. But now we have all that stuff. We have computers. We have phones. We have, we have all this electronics around us that consume our life 24 hours a day. But yet, do we have more time? No, it's like our inboxes are eternally full. I mean, before I get up to preach, I like to—I always mail my notes to myself, and then I open them up in mail, and I read them to you on Sunday mornings and go over them. And so Sunday morning, I had like 22 emails I had to delete and make sure that was at the top so I didn't have to scroll through and find my notes this morning that I put on my computer last night. Because we live in a fast-paced society where we can get so much information download going on in our lives, that we really don't focus on what's important anymore. We get so wrapped up in other things that we don't, we don't care who lives in our neighborhood. We don't care who our neighbors are. They're just another person. If we can just get our teeth brushed and our hair done and our makeup put on just right and we can make it to work, get our day done, and go home just to flop in front of the television, read emails, and play games on our phones, that's how a lot of people operate on a daily basis, but that's not. It's not. That's not living life to the full. Jesus said He wants us to live life to the full. He wants us to have everything that we need in life, and and it's not a. We we think we live life to a full if we can just have this or have that. We live a metaphoric full. It's not really a full because we need. We're, we're thinking the next week about what we need to buy to make us feel good for that week, the very following week. It's never enough. There's never enough happening. And Jesus the, gave us the great commandment in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Now, he's getting ready to, when you make a statement like this, you're ready to, get, you're ready to say something. He's, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, okay, guys, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. And I imagine they kind of say, whoa, what's he about to say here? What's about to happen? And he gives them the great commandment. He says, therefore, because I have all this authority in heaven and earth, therefore go, he gives them four things to do. Go, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then number four, teach these new disciples that you've made to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In fact, in John 16, 23, I have it right here. He, he says, at that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I will tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. And, and so Jesus here is saying, I'm giving you the power of attorney. All the authority that I have, I want you to take it. I want you to go. Now, go is an action word. It's not I want you to watch TV. I want you to do this. He said, go. Everything about this, we have, a new, we have a new great commandment from the inventors of Pokemon. It's called Pokemon Go. And it's to get people out of their houses to go find these little inanimate objects. I'm giving you a challenge as the church. Jesus said, go. Not Pokemon Go, but Jesus Go. And it's time for us to get out and to do what he's supposed to do and go. Go find out what your neighbor's name is. Go find out. Jesus says that even your enemy should be your neighbor. In fact, Jesus goes to another point. He said you should go out of your way to neighbor someone who comes from a place of open hostility towards you. Talking about the Good Samaritan. Either, Either we love our neighbor or we don't. It's time as Americans we, we have to be real neighbors. You want to know what's wrong with this country? We're no longer neighbors. We aren't. We don't know who our neighbors are. We don't know what's going on in anybody's life. If, our, if we can't make it home on time, our kids go to their house and they stay by themselves and they lock the door behind them to feel safe. That's the day and age we live in. What happened to. Well, I'm not home. I'll call my neighbor. We can't call our neighbor because we don't even know our neighbor. Well, y'all quiet today. Now I, I'm being real and I'm just loving on you. But Jesus, if Jesus said truly love your neighbors yourself, do you know your own name? Do you know your own name? If you loved your neighbors yourself, you would know their name. It's just the it's just the thought I had. When I was preparing all this, don't, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just sharing what Jesus says. <laughs> don't shoot me. I'm just, you know, y'all, y'all, y'all pay me to come give y'all the word of God on Sunday mornings and to challenge you. And that's what I'm here to do. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to be better tomorrow than you are today. I want to challenge you to be fulfilled and feel the fullness of God operating in your life. I want to challenge you to be what Jesus has called us all to be. It's not what your country can do for you. It's what you can do for your country. Isn't that the famous saying? Well, it's the same thing in the, in the kingdom of God. It's, it can't always be about us. It's not, it can't always be about What can your church do for you? You are the church. It's it's what can we do for others to help them, help them come out of what what you used to be into. You know, we come to church, we get delivered, we get set free, we start feeling good, and then we go back to some old habits, old ways, and we just, we're, we're not as excited as we once were. We have to daily challenge ourselves, be motivated to read His Word, be motivated to get out there on the streets and to go. Neighboring starts in your heart. Three things we have to do. To effectively neighbor, you have to believe that Jesus has something good to offer people. Do we not share Jesus with other people because we don't believe he has something good for them? Is that why we don't do it? Or do we believe that he's the creator? He's the Alpha the Omega, the beginning and the end. Do we believe Matthew 21, If we ask anything in his name, believing it shall be done. Do we believe that? Do we believe that we have the power of, t- of attorney that it says, it says in John 16, 14, or 20, 23, sorry. Do, do we believe that? Do we really believe that we should love our neighbors as ourselves? You don't understand, Jesus, my neighbor's weird. He was cutting his grass in the dark with a flashlight last night. I don't blame him. It's hot out there. I cut my grass with a flashlight, too. Thank the Lord I live in an apartment right now. I don't have no grass. (laughs) Well, you don't understand. They're they're kids, you know, done some stupid stuff and got trouble in school. Well, you might be their only hope. And Jesus has put you in that house next to weird people for a reason. And that reason is to reach them. Now, I'm not saying go run over to your neighbor with a white shirt, and black slacks on, and pound on their door and tell them, <laughs> they're going to think you're going to scare them. Don't ride your bicycle up to their front door. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll at least know their name. You'll get to know their family. You'll say, well, you know, it's hard to break the ice. Maybe, maybe they'll come meet me one day. Maybe they will. But somebody's got to break the ice. It don't just happen all by itself. You know, it's it's simple as this. I never push myself on my neighbors, but but in little subtle ways, I get to know them. And then they ask me what I do for a living. Then they're in trouble. And I invite them to church and the whole nine yards. It's crazy. You know, some of them even come. Some of them I've even seen get saved and delivered and set free over the years. It's great stuff. But unless I give them that opportunity... It can never happen. Number two, you have to be intentional. Your your neighbor probably don't know your name either. Unless they've had to fill out a police report on you. Somebody has to go next door and shake hands and meet them for the first time. Why not you? Bake some cookies. Bring them all cookies. They may throw them in the garbage and think you put something in them. But bake them all all cookies one day. Do different little things just to meet your neighbors, to love your neighbors as yourself. You love cookies? Your neighbor probably loves cookies. The grass is high, cut the grass for them. Your grass gets high, you cut it. Treat your neighbors, you treat yourself. Mike, cut your neighbor's grass. Number three, we have to see... We have to see our neighbors for who they are. You know who our neighbors are? They're our neighbors. We have to see them for who they really are. They're our neighbors. And Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. You know what? If we truly neighbored as a church and we truly did what Jesus called us to do, there wouldn't be an empty seat in this building. And our city would be a much better place. If every Christian in the city of Angleton truly loved their neighbor as herself and truly spent time with their neighbors and made sure their neighbors were living to the full like they live, our city would be a better place. What would happen in our country? It would be mind-blowing. It doesn't take a village. It takes a neighbor. That's what it takes. It takes somebody that truly loves someone as their self. what happens when we don't love those next door first they can be isolated they can live lonely lives might have a neighbor sitting right next door that lives a lonely life I went to get blood drew this week out my arm for my once a year lovely doctor checkup, and he'll chew me out probably on Monday when I go to see him after he gets the results but that's okay I'm sure they got a pill to fix it I'm 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 choking. That's not my attitude. I'm I'm just being funny here. But I, I met this sweet lady. She was drawing blood out of my arm and and uh, she goes, "So you're a pastor? I introduced myself. She goes, so "You're a pastor." I said, "Yes." She goes, "You know, I've looked for a church everywhere in this city and just can't find. Me. I just I'm so alone. I'm so all by myself. I don't know where to turn, and I just I just don't fit in anywhere. Well, what she's telling me is, I've walked into a lot of churches, and nobody's reached out to me. Nobody's loved me as their self. Nobody's tried to shepherd me or take care of me, and I just spent about 10 beautiful minutes with her after she drew my blood and, and prayed with her and loved on her and invited her to church. That's what neighboring's all about. It doesn't take much time to neighbor. It doesn't. There's some of our neighbors that are living in fear. They don't know what to do with their life. Everything's falling apart around them. But we don't know. They're wary of us and we're wary of them. Some of our neighbors, there's misunderstandings. They don't understand why you're teenage boy runs over their mailbox every time they put it up. They, they don't they don't know what you're going through in life. And they don't understand what they there's just misunderstandings. There was this one one man and his neighbor next door. His neighbor next door was this lady and she just her house had just was falling apart and it needed painting and and shutters were falling down and one of her trees had fallen into his yard. Her yard was high and the grass needed cutting. And uh, he didn't even know her name, but he knew the city's phone number. <laughs> called the city. He I'm a reporter. She's not taking care of her stuff and making, my, making our neighborhood look bad. Christian man. City inspector goes out there and trying to find out what's going on. and I give her a fine. Well, what the man didn't know because he didn't know her name and he didn't know what was going on in her life today or or yesterday or anything about her because he never took time to love his neighbor as himself was that her mother was dying of cancer, and that she was spending every waking moment carrying her mother to her room and changing her mom's diaper and taking care of her mom while she's going through all this and she she ain't, she doesn't have a free time she done lost her job and lost all the money she had, and she can't pay the yard man no more, and she don't have no money to fix up the house because her mom's dying of cancer, and the only thing she can focus on is her her mother. And then the man finds this out, and how big does he feel? Because all he could do is he misunderstood her, so he called and reported her because he had no understanding of what she was going through in life because he never took the time to, to, to do what Jesus said was the second commandment which was equal to the first, which is to actually love your neighbor as yourself. Number one obstacle to neighboring is time. Like I said, our inboxes are eternally full. There's three lies we we tell ourselves constantly on a daily basis about our our schedule, is uh, things will settle down one day. One day I'll have time to find out who my neighbor is. Number two is more will be en- more. More will be enough. One day we'll have everything that we need. We won't need any more. You're always going to want something. You're always going to want a new fishing rod or a new gun or a new hunting lease or a new truck or a new BMW or a new car. Or you're always going to want something, even if it's something small. There's a pair of shoes that I've had in my eyes on, and, and you just focus on those shoes and you you surf the web about those shoes and you you look at those shoes and you dwell on those shoes and is God truly number 1 in our life when we do that we have time for everything else in our life and i'm just getting real with you today do we truly love the lord our god with all of our heart with all of our mind with all of our soul but yet we just give him sunday morning and then you know god i did my weekly duty Or do we take enough time during our week to actually neighbor and do what he's asked us to do? Do we take our time to actually meet our neighbors? And like I said, I'm preaching to myself today too, not just to you. The healthiest person I've ever seen, from what I've read and from what I've seen on TV or anything, his name was Jesus. If you look, Jesus always had time for everybody. The disciples were like, the little children, uh, he don't have time for you, right? And Jesus said, let him come to me. Put him in his lap. Because Jesus was constantly neighboring. I've come, to, I've come to this conclusion in my life that the one thing that God truly hates is complacency. If you think about it, think about what the scripture says. It says, either be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. Because he'll spew you out of his mouth. He, he don't mind that you're cold or, or, or that, you're, that you're hot, but lukewarm bothers him. Complacency bothers him. We get so complacent and so caught up in living our lives the same way every day. Well, we know that at 7.30 alarm clock, clock goes off and we slap it. And then at 7.40 alarm clock goes off and we slap it again. 7.50, alarm clock goes off again, and we say, crud, it's 7.50, I have 10 minutes to be to work, and we jump up, and we, we take our three-minute cold shower, because we don't even have time for the water to warm up, and we throw our hair back, and we jump in our car, and we make an excuse while we're late to work, and we get there, and we go through the day, and we do the same thing we ever did, day. we do every day, we we check our inbox when we get to our desk, or or we, we load the tools in our truck that we're going to need for our trade for the day, and and we hurry up, and we get on the job, and we do what's, we do everything it takes to get through the day. And we're like, whoo, I'm glad that day is over. And then Tuesday comes along, we do the same thing, whoo, I'm glad that day is over. And then Wednesday comes along, whoo, I'm glad that's over. And Thursday and Friday, and before we know it, five, ten years goes by, and we're just glad, man, those five or ten years, we're just glad they're over. But what actually happened in that five or ten years? in our life of complacency where we're just glad we have a job or, or we're spending time trying to find another job, what, what do we actually get done that makes an eternal difference? I got a saying on my desk, I keep on my desk. It says, I will put first things first, and eternal things are the most important. Because there's something about working towards the goal of eternity. One day we're going to, every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess. And we're going to sit there and then we're going to watch this, this video of our lives replay before us. And we're going to say, well, you know, God, I was just trying to get by. And then the question's going to come along, did you really truly know him? Can we say we truly know him when we don't obey his word? And, and we don't do what he's called us to do? John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He's just the opposite of the devil. The devil wants to steal your week. He wants to steal your months. He wants to steal your years. You know why? Because he loves it when we're just complacent little soldiers that just go through the day and we, we attend church on Sunday and we think everything's okay. He loves that. It doesn't bother him when we do. And he'll throw a little tax just to divert you when you do get on fire. You went to a ladies' conference and everything's good. And I'm going to tell my neighbors about Jesus this week. And boom, he throws another battle or struggle your way. And boom, we get all frazzled, dazzled, and and everything's everything's rolled up into a problem again. And then we we get in our little complacent place and we just go on and on again. What would happen if the church was the church? And we stand up and say, you know what? Complacency isn't good enough for me. Just walking through my day, not taking time for people isn't good enough for me. I'm actually going to do what God has called me to do. What would happen in our nation? What would happen in our lives if we were actually the army that Jesus built to go out into all the world? to make disciples, to teach them, to raise them up, to have, to have multiplication in our lives and to replace ourselves on the battlefield and to watch a new generation of warriors stand up and to fight the devil and all the enemies of this world and to bring the fight to the forefront and to love our neighbors and to say, you know what, I'm going to get to know every person I come in contact with because I have the love of Christ in me and I cannot wait to share it with them. I, wanna, I don't want my friends to have to go, or my neighbors to have to go through the problems I went through. I want to share. That's why your testimony is so powerful. I want to share my testimony. I want, I want everybody to be able to make the choice I made. I don't want them to make the mistakes I made. last thing I want in life is for my kids to make the same mistakes I made. I want to teach them about my mistakes. I'll share with them the things that I did wrong growing up. Because I don't want them to do the same things that Dad did. I don't want them to have to borrow money to buy a house when they get older. I want them to have the money. If I can give it to them, I will. I just might. I'm blessed. Everything I do is blessed. Every business venture I've ever done in life just about has made lots of money because I'm blessed going in and I'm blessed going out and I speak those positive things over my life every day. Jesus, I wake up and today is your day. I give my life to you. And as a pastor, I've had to learn this word go, go into all the world. I've had to learn this word because we tend to want to go sit behind our desk and read and study and do all this stuff. But reading and study isn't what Jesus told me to go do. He told me to go. And I meet more people at HEB and walking through Walmart during the week than I meet sitting behind my desk. Makes sense, don't it? Invited somebody to church this week. I try every, every week to invite two or three people at least to church. And if I see somebody hurting, I stop, take time out of my day. Because that's what Jesus did. So many times we just let people walk right by us that are hurting. Well, that's not my problem. Yes, it is. Because if you love them like yourself, you now have a problem. Every problem they have is your problem. And you help them overcome it by the power of your testimony and through the blood of the Lamb. That's what Jesus says. It's choices we make every day. You know, we have choices we make every day. You know why the school system and why why everybody else, you know why they, have, they, they do select baseball and basketball and all that on Sundays now? You know why they do that? We let them. We let them. We tell our kids, you know, it's okay to miss church. It's okay to do this. If all the parents would stand up and say, my kid's not playing on a Sunday, you know what happens? We not play no games on Sunday. Because the ballpark wouldn't make no money. They wouldn't sell any, any Cracker Jacks. They wouldn't sell any, any Dr. Pepper and all the good stuff in life. No, that would happen. But we've come complacent where it's okay to replace God in our lives with other things okay not to love our neighbors. We, we've come to that place and we've decided other things other than God take a priority in our life. We erase the number one commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. Well if we love him with all of our hearts, then his house is number one priority. He's number one priority. When we wake up in the morning he's the first thing we give our priorities to. Not bacon. And I love bacon, but Jesus has got to be first. Luke 10, 38-42 says, As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, this is right after they, he told the, the parable about the Samaritan, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. So they're going to Jerusalem. They come to Mary and Martha's house, and Martha welcomes them into the house and says, come in, I'm going to cook for you. I'm going to take good care of you. And she does all this stuff, and her sister Mary is there with her. And so Martha welcomed, into her, welcomed, into, welcomed them into her home, and her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he talked. And then verse 40, we see a big butt. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and tell her to come help me. Verse 41, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will be not taken away from her. I want to look at this. Martha invites him into her home. Is it looks like Martha's doing the right thing here? She invites Jesus into her home and she's working hard to please him and take care of him and be the good host. And she's cooking him dinner and she's doing the dishes and Mary's not helping. Boy, my boys get aggravated. Mom, I'm doing the dishes, but but so and so's not. And Kobe ain't done nothing, Mom. That's what Snoop says. Kobe ain't done nothing. He's a turkey. And, uh, and so they got tattletale on each other. So Martha runs and she tattletales because she's distracted about all the little things that she thinks matters in life. That's what it says. She's distracted by the big dinner. And Jesus says, why are you worried and upset over all of these little details? He's saying, that's good, but I'm only here for just a little while. I'm just here for a minute. And so Martha gets so busy and so distracted that Mary sits there and gets to soak in all of Jesus. And Martha totally misses out on the whole thing. Because she's so distracted with all the busyness and with everything that's going on in her life. Isn't that just like us? We get so distracted and we get, and we get so so consumed in the details of of what we're doing in life, that all of a sudden we look up and we've lost years. We've looked up and we've missed God opportunities that he's had for our lives because we got distracted by what we thought was good. And, And here's the real thing. Martha gets reprimanded for serving Jesus. Have you ever thought about it like that? Martha gets reprimanded for serving Jesus. We get so involved in church sometimes we miss out on God. We get, we get so wrapped up in the details of doing this before church or this after church or, or, or the life team I'm going to. We get so distracted by all the little things we actually miss the Jesus part of the whole experience. And we miss out on miracles in our life. And we miss out on answers God has for our life because we, we get so busy. In fact, I call it the hurry sickness. Listen, love always takes time. Love is the one thing hurried people don't have because they don't have time for it. They don't have time to love their neighbor. They don't have time to do this because they're always in a hurry. Something, something's always more pressing. Something, something, something always has to be done today. It can never wait for tomorrow. Now, I'm not lazy, and I'm not about pushing things to tomorrow, but the last thing I want to do is get so busy that I miss out On a God moment in my life. There are some God moments that God wants to have with you in your life. But it only comes through personal relationship with Him. It only comes through prayer. It only comes through feasting this time. And we have to do those things. And we have to spend time with our God and say, you're number one. You're our everything. And when our neighbor comes down the street, we have to take time to listen to him. Even if it's an older gentleman who's told you the same story. Ten times. Because that is true love. I've been living with my dad for all my life, and I've heard all of his stories a hundred times. But when I'm with him, I try my hardest to focus on what he's telling me, even if I've heard it a hundred and fifty-two times. I try to listen to it. Because I, want it. I don't want to discount him. I used to tell him, well, you know, I've heard that story a hundred times, Dad. And he just look at me like, well, I guess I'm getting old, you yeah. know. I, I, I discounted what he meant to me in my life. And so I just listened to his stories. Man, that's a good one, Dad. I like that. That's funny. Because I love him. And one day I want my boys to love me like they love themselves. And to spend time with me and to honor me and to cherish me. By trying to love many, sometimes many times we love few. In order to properly neighbor, we have to prioritize our lives. I'm going to close with this today. In Florence, Italy, there's a statue that Michelangelo carved. He took a big hunk of granite, and, it's, and he carved out what is known today as the Statue of David. It's one of his greatest works. And they asked Michelangelo, they asked him, how do you go about Carving this masterpiece. And by his own account, he says, I simply took a block of granite and took away everything that was not the masterpiece. Michelangelo had to become a master in the art of elimination. If you want your life to be a masterpiece, sometimes you got to cut everything out of it that doesn't belong. Sometimes you gotta eliminate everything in your life that doesn't matter. Sometimes you gotta eliminate the things in your life that are holding you back, or you'll just be a big block. God wants you to be a masterpiece. He wants to take your life and he wants to carve it out, but we have to allow him to do that. Sometimes there's some things we hold on to that keep us from looking like a masterpiece. We hold on to them and we hold on to them. We hold on to them. And we never let go of them. And we never feel fulfilled. Because we just tried to cling on to something that didn't belong. Something that we didn't need. Something that was holding us back. Instead of allowing God to carve out the masterpiece, we try to hold on to it. If we give it to God and just eliminate all the things in our lives that we didn't need, we could be fulfilled. And he would make us the masterpiece that he's called us to be. We have to ask ourselves the question, do I live at a pace that allows me to be available to God and to those around me? I have to admit, I'm a big hunk of granite. I am. And and as I study these things to share with you, I eliminate stuff out of my life. There's stuff I do that takes time that that has no no earthly gain, no eternal gain. And so I choose to carve it out, throw it away. Now there's things I enjoy doing and I save little things to to keep me keep me living life to the full that I enjoy. But at the same time, I can't have one thing that takes all my family's time and takes all of God's time away from me. I've got to carve that thing out and get rid of it. Same thing. God wants to God wants to make each and every one of you masterpieces today. But sometimes we have to give him parts of our life in order for him to do that. Sometimes we just have to give him our life. And say, Lord, I've tried to do it all on my own. I've tried to do everything all by myself. I can't do it alone. I need you to finish this masterpiece. I give it all to you. I turn it all over to you. Save me. Heal me. Set me free. And Jesus will do that. Stand with me today as we pray. Our prayer partners are coming now. And as they come, if you've got something you need to carve out of your life, something you need to eliminate out of your life today, God wants to do that for you. He wants you to live life to the full. Maybe there's something in your life, a circumstance that's going wrong, and and, and you don't know how to handle it. These people are prayer warriors. They'll pray with you and help you touch heaven today. With, th- with God, all things are possible. Nothing's impossible. Your marriage is not impossible. God can save your marriage. I had a good friend of mine, him and his wife, been married to each other three times. This third time, they've been married 20-something years together. And they love life. They finally figured out how to do it. Even after they were divorced, they prayed for each other. And God did it. God fixed it. took three times, but He did it. Don't ever give up on something that you're praying or you're believing for. Because we serve a powerful God. He can snap His fingers and form the earth. He can snap His fingers and make your life the masterpiece that it's called to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that as they go today. Father, You touch their life. You'd heal their hearts, Father. Let them as they go out this week, Father, I thank you that you've called them. You've called them to love their neighbor as their self, Father. You've called them to touch people they come in contact with. I thank you for all these things, Father. Let them meet new people this week. And let them share share you with them and let, let those people's lives be changed. In your name we pray.